It's brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tomes Amazon store. Hi, I'm Ed Greenwood, and you're listening to the Tomes. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, number 208, we're diving deep into the realms lore as we talk to Ed Greenwood about Ed Greenwood Presents Elminster's Forgotten Realms. First off, welcome back to the show, Ed. Thank you. It's good to be back. I think this is your, uh, what, fourth, maybe fifth appearance? I, 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 I can't count. <laughs> I, I'm, I've run out of fingers. No. You're, you're almost a regular. We, we might just have you start your own show. Ooh, a regular. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be on board for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stardom. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this Elminster's Guide to the to the Realms out, um, and it's obviously about the Forgotten Realms. Could you give a little more information about what's in the book and who it's for? Sure. This book is for everybody. So I need everybody to buy it. No, uh, th- this, book is, this book is useful to any player or dungeon master who wants an idle half hour of entertainment or inspiration by reading through it, or a dungeon master needing to cherry pick stuff, recipes, how they treat you at an inn, what they do with your horse and stabling, stuff like that, for any vaguely medieval slash renaissance fantasy campaign. doesn't have to be in the realm. So though for, the, for people in the realms, it gives specific names and examples of all sorts of stuff. There is not a single bit of so-called crunch in this book. No hard and fast rules. No D4 plus one, six rounds, whatever. None of that. It's all um, talking about stuff in the in the world. And it's all the mundane, weird little stuff we didn't get to, because it fades into the background when you're talking about wars and adventures and monsters and magic items and stuff. It's all the way the wor- world works around and behind stuff so you can use it anywhere now i know that at one point gamers were told it would be the secrets of my campaign i wish i'd been told that and had had the time to write that sort of book i'm i'm hoping i'll get to do another Ah, one a sequel (laughs) yeah i can put that very sort of stuff in it but um i i had to put this book together in a real hurry last year at this time and I wrote frantically and wrote frantically, and I, and I had an editor um, within the company who was, you know, asked me for an outline, and we went back and forth a couple times, and what appeared in the book is what was approved in the outline. Um, 
also, it wasn't what some people thought the book was going to be. Now, either one of those books is a useful, great book. Okay? So I'm very proud of what we put out. And I think it is the sort of stuff that we should have had out about the realms right near the beginning. But it's sort of all the less um, adventure scintillating stuff. It's, it's the stuff you use to weave it together. What's in that cart? Why is there a cart there right. in the background? What's passing by on the road? Why? You know, <laughs> all the stuff about how the world works, how trade works, how um, food is handled, how where you go if you, you need a rich investor to invest in something, all that stuff. Right. Uh, all those questions that DMs often have to make up on the fly because their their players suddenly ask them about it and can be kind of difficult to create in a way that informs about the world in addition to just providing uh, something for the players to react to. If, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, I mean, I know there are people who who aren't pleased by the approach we take in the realms of detailing everything. They say, what is all this stuff? I don't need all this stuff. And that's fine. You know, if, if their play style doesn't need all that stuff, that's just great. I mean, people like that don't need some of the stuff we provide. But this stuff is provided because a lot of us don't have enough time between play sessions. We've got, you know, our lives are so busy that and, and that we have to sort of do things on the fly. And this helps the Dungeon Master. He says, wait a minute, I know there was something about doors or oubliettes or, or you know, trap doors or, or how you raise and lower things into the loft of a barn somewhere. Flip, flip, flip. Here it is. You know. Well, and I... And, and, I was gonna say, and yeah. I, f- I find that even even if I'm not going to, to flip through a book at the table for something like that, and I'm probably not, uh, if I yeah. by re- by reading through a book like this, I I have that s- some of these ideas now in the back of my head. So when the the party approaches the concept of nobility, you know, I've read this this section on on nobility in the realms, and so I have some ideas in my head, sort of of how nobility might work. And I might put the wrong nobility in the wrong place or whatever, but at least I have some ideas in my head on, on different forms of, of making nobility work in a, in a fantasy setting. Yeah, and, and th- there's something that I think many um, publishers forget or overlook. The number of people who take game stuff or nonfiction stuff, like, say, the appendices in the back of The Lord of the Rings at the back of The Return of the King, when you get to the end. And there's all this stuff about Rohan and so on. And because there's not going to be any more fiction from that author arriving in your lap in the next minute, or even ever, <laughs> you, you sit back and read that stuff and fantasize. You, you make up your own possibilities, things that could happen from what you just read. And I think there are a lot of people who don't gain in the realms, or necessarily game at all, but who came to the realms through through the novels, through the short stories on the website and stuff like that, who read some of the game books and think of possible stories. They, they you know, curl up with a good game book instead of with a good novel. And so I, I think it, the more detail you can give people, remember, you can always say, no, nah, I'm not having that in my game. I don't care about dragons' backstories. I don't care how they got all those long, silly names. Just kill the thing, you know. <laughs> but other people go, "Oh yeah, I want that." Or other people say, "I don't usually use that, but wait a minute, I can do this this story where the, this 
dragon is after something because of what happened to his slash her parents, and I need the parents' names. Oh, good, somebody's written something for me. I'll just bore these. Right. Well, and I think, too, if you're interested in your own sort of world building, seeing how other people uh, look at the small details of the world and why even those small details are the way they are in that particular world is uh, a cool thing, too. Yeah, it's sometimes... We sometimes don't have the time and space word count or the editor doesn't want that sort of tone to explain why we make the design decisions we do. You know, mm-hmm. usually you just try and present it as, you know, this is the way it is in the realms or this is the way it is in whatever, um, Midgard, whatever, you know. Uh, but it, it would be interesting to sit down with interested gamers and say, okay, the reason why I put the Merchant Kingdom there, or the reason why this guy is called this as a title and not that, is to hint that X and Y. And so if somebody stumbles on a similar-sounding name or title here three years into play, you might put the two and two together and come up with this cool adventure. Or not, you know, but, but I mean, we, we do things for reasons, not always because that was the first thing that occurred to us or because we're copying something from somewhere. <laughs> Sometimes it's because, hey, if I hint at this, then, you know, for instance, if you went into a, um, a feasting hall and there are no knives anywhere, you can't cut the meat. And then you realize that everything that's being brought to the table in these platters with covers on it has already been pre-cut up and is lying there in thought. Why don't they have any knives? It's, is there a ruler here paranoid about knives, or is there one of those things about, you know, the the old fairy tale? She will prick her finger on a spindle and fall into a deep sleep, so there's no spindle. You know, um, is there something going on that you might want to find out? And and we do also, you know, there's all sorts of design things we hide in there that aren't always just little in jokes back and forth or the the way we always do things. They're there for a reason. And I would love to have times on occasion. I mean, I know I bore the ears off people if I did it every time, but I mean. To, to have the chance to say, yeah, I, I, I actually did that deliberately because of the, you know. Yeah, I love, I love those sorts of stuff. But, yeah, I know some people get bored by it. Sure. And I find that, that even if, if those kinds of things and details and, and whatever, um, even if they don't inspire a specific story by integrating them in, 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 in and I've had the experience of running a, a 30 level Forgotten Realms campaign recently um, with a bunch of people that didn't have any knowledge of the realms prior to the campaign but even even though they didn't have that that knowledge and they weren't deep into the realms lore when I threw the realms lore in and and, and took these little these little trinkets and, and bits here and there um, it made the world seem larger than just what was going on in in their PCs' lives, you know? And that's vital. That's what makes it feel alive and what lifts the players from the expectation that I come to Joe's house and I sit at his table and I run through the adventure he's got ready for me into my character wants to go here and do this. And hey, I've never seen flying airships in the background before. Maybe we could get us one of those. <laughs> Where do they dock? Yeah, we'll just grab it. You know, uh, or you know, they, it, it changes them from expecting the adventure to be presented to them to wanting to choose your, their own adventures, and that's what I think makes them real heroes. When you stop reacting to the world, 
the you know the world acting on you and start saying, "Hey, I want to be king here," or "I don't think this king is right. Let's teach him a thing or two. Or I would like this law changed. You know, and I'm going to do something about it. You know, that's when things get interesting and the players really get invested in the campaign because they are doing things that they can't do in real life that are beyond killing the monster and taking the treasure. Well, maybe they can do that in real life, you know, until the authorities catch up with them. But it is a sort of, you know, one-note thing. Yeah, and, and, part of, and part of the problem is, as for DMs or GMs trying to provide that, is uh, if, if all you have are cookie-cutter characters that you just throw in, uh, it, it doesn't really reward them, because they're not necessarily seeing anything different. If the characters all act the same or have similar names or uh, the cultures are all the same, there, there isn't the same sort of need to explore and find out things, because they already know it. That's right, and, and nothing is memorable. Nothing matters, whereas if you've been trying to get to this villain for three years of real time, or there's some mysterious person spying on you, you always catch sight of them, and then they always get away before you can get over there. And this has been going on for years of literal time. You know, when you finally corner them or finally take down the villain, it really matters. It, you know, everybody stands up and cheers because they've really done something. Because <laughs> you've invested it with meaning. Mm-hmm. And the and the best way to invest it with meaning is not for the dungeon master to jump around trying to ham act uh, at the top of his lungs. Oh, you must pay attention to this character because this character is important. See, he's got a shiny big sword. Uh, that doesn't work as well as the players around the table saying, "This guy again. Oh, I hate this guy. I'm going to get mm-hmm. this guy." And, and and the dungeon master just smiles and says, "Huh? It worked." <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah. Well, no. And so you're just talking about uh, you know campaigns that are spanning spanning years. Well, the realms has been around for a long time. There's it's gone through a lot of changes, and over that time period too. So one of the questions we have is, is which version of the realms is this book uh, set in? Is it the original, current, future, somewhere in between? Oh, this book is well. Okay, here's the thing. I'm tried to make this book serve all editions. It mainly avoids talking about dating at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's talking about okay, this is a ball of string. This is the way you will find the ball of string wound if you buy it in a market in Termish or whatever. But inevitably, we do talk about how some things like say clothing fashions have changed over time. And then I just I treat the realms as a real place the way I always do, and I say, by 1236, um, a woman wore breeches um, habitually in this area of the realms, but by 1367, you know, and, I, and so you can tell from the dating that it moves past sort of second edition, third edition, which is set sort of 1350 and so on, but I don't dwell on that at all. Mm-hmm. There are There are there's the presence of some things and mentions and things that make it clear that, yeah, this book is concurrent with now, as in fourth edition. But most of the book, it really doesn't matter what edition or when in the relationship. I just talk about how things changed over time, and I do that as little as possible, because I'm concentrating on traditions or services or items, or the way things work. So there's a little bit of 
by this time it changes to this. But mainly, mainly I'm just concentrating in on the things, and it really doesn't matter. And again, if you're uh, if you're using this book and your your campaign isn't set in the realms at all, ignore all the dates, ignore right. everything, just take it, you know, take the, take the stuff and use it, and change it to fit your world. And, and while I see that you know there are certain things that are avoided that make it compatible with the realms, you know, I don't see a lot of mention of Mulharond, for example. Um, in your in the many examples that are given in different things, which makes sense because it's not always there depending on which edition you're playing. Um, but I also noted in the in the section on the gods mm-hmm. that we don't have a monitor; we have Lathander, which is non fourth edition. Well, okay. Here's the thing: <laughs> I'm writing the book in a heck of a hurry. Right. Um, the gods section is always getting way too long already. And by the way, the thing I most regretted cutting out of this book. I had a whole section on what each church, what each priesthood is doing in the world in a secular way. You know, I know we represent this God, but in the meantime, we're trying to corner the market in eggs <laughs> or whatever. You know, um, the, the completely secular, I need to make money so I can eat, you know. And I would like my temple to be large, wealthy, and powerful. So this is what I do. You know, all that stuff had to be cut out. Just because when the moment you start talking about the gods, it starts taking over the book. So, Although the, each one does have a secular aims section. Yeah, but I mean, I, I went way more into this okay. than I ended up. <laughs> and, and the reason why you have Lathander and not a monitor? Because I was in a heck of a hurt, and I was just grabbing my old notes and saying, okay, what out of this is useful in, a, in an ongoing way? Oh, good, this bit, good. Plop. Now, I don't mean that you're getting my notes on, on rewritten. Everything was rewritten before I handed it in. And then in the final editing pass with the superb editor, Kim Mohan, who you may remember was one of the early editors of The Dragon, mm-hmm. I think number three after Tim Cask and Jake, Jake Jaclay, was, was Kim Mohan. And years and years ago, he hired me, and I, I put quotes around this because no money was involved <laughs> as a contributing editor of Dragon. Way back in an early Gen Con, we went for a walk in a field. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we go way back, and Kim is a great guy, and he's a, he, he's a journalist by background, so he's a wordsmith. And so he did the final pass to, okay, you say this in this paragraph, but, you know, the tone doesn't fit with his, you know, so we went through everything. So everything's been rewritten a couple times, but the genesis of why some gods are in there and some aren't is... Oh, this section's too long already. I don't have time to invent a whole bunch of stuff about this deity. Let's just leave them out. Flip, flip. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm on a sort. No, Lathander. Lathander's who I know, and Lathander's who I can put it in in a hurry. If we're talking monitor, I need to bring Eric Boyd in, and I don't have time to bring Eric Boyd in. <laughs> you know, I've got to do this book now, as, I have, as in I have to have this section in by Thursday, because um, despite the fact that it, it, you know, some people think that People lie around waiting for their muse to strike. That may be so if they're writing literary books. <laughs> In gaming, <laughs> we gotta have the thing done now. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. um, and and uh, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't have the, the luxury of saying, oh, could you just like not print it for another month because I want to fiddle with it? No. We in the old TSR days at the old TSR that was known as tweaking, and. Um, people from production would wander around saying to the designers, stop tweaking the damn thing and give it to me now. You know, because <laughs> we need to typeset it or we need to keyline it or we need to whatever. You know, so, yeah, you have to get it done now. 
I would love to spend a year, if someone would pay me handsomely for that year, sitting there writing anything I wanted at any length, and then they'd publish, say, 12 of these um, guides. Right. You know, about everything. And and I an encyclopedia of their realms. Oh, yeah. I would love to do that. <laughs> and it wouldn't be any of the big dramatic stuff. It wouldn't be this battle and this king. It would all be stuff like, okay, if you have to go to the bathroom in the royal palace in Suzale, where are the washrooms? Okay, how do they work? You know, <laughs> um, are you using water to flush? Are you wiping your hair? All this stuff, you know, um, which you think, why would anyone want to know that? Well, you know, the, every time a band of adventurers goes marauding or sneaking through a palace, <laughs> they're always ending up in closets or under beds or behind tapestries. What's behind the tapestry? Did they dust there often, or are you going to be sneezing when you're trying to be quiet and hide? You know, um, if you get under the bed and all of a sudden somebody comes into the room of the princess in the middle of the night and you're going, uh-oh, and you're trying to get out, are you under the bed with her slippers, with her chamber pot, both? Or is there already a guard under there with, you know, a poison crossbow or something like that? You know, we need to cover all these things. A dungeon master can easily create stuff, but if they want a world presented to them that they're paying for bits and pieces for, uh, of, we, we should be uh, designing it for them. They can change stuff, but give them the stuff there in the first place. I mean, when you buy a car, you don't expect to get it with no back seat and no floor. You know, or if you if you buy a house, you don't expect the guy to say, "Oh, there's just one little thing about this house. It doesn't have any plumbing or bathroom." <laughs> oh, <laughs> you expect it all to be there. So, I, in the same way, I expect if I am presenting a bit of the realms to somebody that we cover stuff. Anyway, and this is a book full of the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, on top of it, by being able to write it in a book, you're you can help ensure there's a diversity of, of like you said, like maybe some places have slippers and other people have chamber pots and yeah, somewhere have you think And you'd think, why would that matter? Well, you know, if I am a female alone in my bedchamber at night and some guy comes through the window, <laughs> there are a limited number of things I can throw at him. <laughs> And a chamber pot is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you can put it over his head if it's big enough. <laughs> you know, blind him and then shove him out the window again. Or or into the corridor. Or or if you want to deafen him but not kill him, you put it over his head and then start beating on the chamber pot with something. Now, I'm, I'm now talking about the metal sort of chamber pot, the enamel ones as opposed to the crockery ones. You know, and... What he's getting is a ding, 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 instead of, you know, hearing anything. And right. then you send him out into the corridor. Right. And the, the guards go, I just heard a ding, 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 ding. What the heck is going? Oh, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, and, you, and your job is done. So, I mean, <laughs> so the, there are reasons why we delve into stuff that, you know, some people might say, why would you care about that? Or, you know, you have a thing about chamber pots. No, it's not that at all. I'm trying to... Um, if if I have to describe a room in a hurry as a dungeon master, I want somebody to have gone through a room and said, okay, there's a sconce on the wall. There's a candle in it. It isn't lit. So how do they light it? Oh, the lighting implements are these, and they're over here, and there's probably a candle snuffer, too. Because, you know, a candle snuffer might be a long metal thing, which I can ram up somebody's, you know, <laughs> if I as an improvised weapon. 
or I can bend it to to put through the handles of the door if somebody's trying to break in or something. You know, I, mm-hmm. I need all that detail there. Yeah, well, and just off the top of my head, you could be in a culture that, like, or in a place where there really is such a thing as monsters under your bed unless you have this talisman, but it turns out the talismans are, are made of gold or something, so you have an adventurer come in and searches around the room and steals it, and then that night the monster comes and kills uh, the person who sleeps in that bed, and now you've got an adventure that's reacting to what the player did. Sure. Or, you know, you could have the, you know, the princess or duchess lying in her bed, and she knows there's an intruder, so she reaches down and pulls out the talisman, <laughs> and now the monsters are marauding through the room. Right. And she's, she's staying inside her four poster saying, I'll just wait for the crunching noises to stop. <laughs> <laughs> You know, oh yeah, there's all sorts of cool things, and you know, we we do research, um, as in, okay, here's a four poster. Now, if the top of the four poster is made of leather, as in, you know, what we would think of as a sheet of suede, okay, is it strong enough to hold a halfling thief if he sneaks up <laughs> and lies there? How many now, chil- how many children's did you throw on beds, Ed? <laughs> what kind of research are you doing? Tell. What kind of research are you doing here? <laughs> no, 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 not with ice people. And and the other thing is, how much does it sag? You know, the the halfling thief all just hide up on top of the princess's bed, and the four poster top sags down to almost touch her nose. She's gonna figure out there's somebody up there. <laughs> you know? Oh, oh look! <laughs> and so there's things like that that I think about when I'm working on furnishings and thinking about things. And, and in the this should be this should be immediately apparent to everybody, because a lot of people who aren't even gamers have watched the Lord of the Rings and the and now the Hobbit, and you know you realize, whereas you can gloss over things in a novel, and even in a written adventure, and in fact sometimes in written adventures we gloss over things we shouldn't, because guess what, players will have their characters do weird things that we didn't think of, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but but a movie maker can't cut any corners. He's showing you everything. So he has to design everything and make it, and it has to be there. Even if it's just done digitally rather than real and filmed, he has to show you somebody snuffing that candle or lighting it. You know, there's no, there's no cutting corners on the details. And this is a book full of a lot of those details. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, looking at the, the thickness of the book, there would have to be 20 of them to just cover, say, the heartlands of the realms, the way I'd like to cover them. We can't do everything in a book, but I tried to make this book full of little dribs and drabs of really useful stuff. Mm. Maybe not to every dungeon master or every player or every reader, but you should be able to read through it and go, oh, that's cool. Oh, wait a minute. That gave me an idea. Oh, I can, you know, that's what I, that's what the book's for. And I, and I note as you, as you mentioned, you know, that you could do, you know, several of these just on the heartlands, um, that I, that I notice as I go through the book, there's not any effort made to organize like geographically, you know, there's no effort to, to make sure that each major, uh, country or kingdom is detailed in, in, in each, you know, sort of category or whatever. No, I, I, I didn't have the word count. I, I did try and I started out with the currency section, uh, which I don't mean it's at the front of the book. I mean I, when I started out writing it, I tried a draft in which I covered the coins and quasi coins because in some cases they aren't coins; they're like metal plaques and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, uh, and shells were used. You know, all of, but I mean, the coins were their equivalent 
I tried to, to do one of those things where, and in Kalamjan, blah, 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 and in the Tashalar, blah, 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 and I thought, holy crap, I'm going to run out of pages, and the whole book is going to be just about coins. <laughs> I can't do this. I don't have the word count. Right, okay. Absolutely. I almost I almost expect to see lots and lots of tables and charts, just you know, and and that, even that stuff's not not there. But you've got some of those in other other products too. Yeah. I, I, so so I I did the okay. Let's give everybody a grab bag of interesting, cool stuff because I don't have it. I don't have the time and word count to give them an encyclopedia. So instead of a movie like The Lord of the Rings, but about the realms, this is the trailer. <laughs> All the cool stuff here, fast-moving stuff there, glowing stuff there, interesting stuff. What the heck was that there? Oh, did that? We're done. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's it's to get your your inspiration. Kit. I would love to do it. Well, except again, I would be forever doing it, and you and everybody else would be sitting there saying the same way that poor Gary Gygax was in that same position where everybody's going, "Where's Castle Greyhawk? Come on, I'm getting older. Where is it? I'm waiting." <laughs> and in fact, they did that. To him over the Dungeon Master's Guide, the the original Dungeon Master's Guide. We had the Monster Annual first with the Player's Handbook, and then there was this agonizing wait for the Dungeon Master's Guide. And in Dragon 21, they put some of the charts and tables that were going to be in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Because he, he said, I realize you Dungeon Masters are waiting and waiting and waiting, and you still got to run games. So here's some of the charts and tables, because I'm not done yet, you know. And I didn't. I don't want to be the bottleneck. And if I did something that exhaustive, covering everything, and doing all regions under every topic, sort of the Wikipedia of the realms. But you know, coins, and then go. I realize you guys would be waiting for years. <laughs> on the other hand, you've kind of been doing that for most of your career, yes? Sure, I have. Yeah, <laughs> I work in the realms every day, and it's been what? Oh, geez, 1966. I started. If you'll cast your minds back. Uh, <laughs> And I'm still working on it. And, there, mm-hmm. and you know, the more you work, the more you realize we haven't covered yet. You know, it's sort of like... But on the other hand, we all live in the real world without knowing everything about it. Right. And if we sat down and waited for somebody to write an exhaustive book about the real world, he'd still be writing when we died of old age. Right? And we wouldn't have time to read it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You You have to live in the real world, not read about it. So I'm trying to give sort of cool, useful stuff dungeon masters can grab and players can grab on their way through <laughs> on their, uh, as they live in the realms. I would love to do like innumerable sequels to this. Whether that'll happen, well, we'll see and, and sales will be a bit of it. Now, you can probably tell that one of, the th- one of the reasons there are not many rules or no crunch rules in this book is that we are waiting for D&D Next or 5th Edition or whatever you want to call it. And it's awfully difficult to sell somebody um, a rule book full of rules for rules that haven't come out yet, <laughs> that haven't been finished yet. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is this is a product that, of lore that can come out before there are rules. And that's cool. You know, from my point of view, I would love doing just lore products for the rest of my life. Sure. We can yeah. resurrect Polo. You know, he survived. <laughs> or his daughter did, or his niece, or his great, 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 great granddaughter and perhaps she's less annoying than Volo and can get into more <laughs> uh, you know and, and Volo's guides could write again I mean I love writing bitchy restaurant reviews for imaginary restaurants I can do that <laughs> uh, but but I would love to do tons more lore stuff but again uh, what what will come out we'll see um, I, I have this sundering novel to write mm-hmm. <laughs> 
and and some other stuff. And um, just before you called, I was working on some new Eye on the Realms columns. Between the forging columns out front, which is talking about the sort of process of DMing and creating the, the realms, and the Eye on the Realms columns behind the paywall at the Wizards website, um, which are about specific things in the realms that you can pick up and use, I, I'm trying to constantly give players and DMs and fiction writers and people who just read all that stuff for pleasure, like I was talking about earlier, tons and tons of stuff about the realms, and I hope I never stop. Of course, I will die and stop sometime, <laughs> but I'm, I'm hoping the realms last until I die and, and longer, and that I keep busy every day churning this stuff out because I love doing it. And you seem to and, be leaving behind a legacy of, of other people to, to pick up the slack you know, in the future. That's okay. That, that's the cool thing about the realms, mm-hmm. it being a shared world. It's not like, oh, he's dead. Nobody else can write about the realms anymore. No, there are tons of talented people who have been writing in the realms for years. They all know what they're doing. They, they may do very different things. You know, a Bob Salvatore novel might be very different from, you know, um, a... a um, source book from Doug Niles early on, you know, but they're all, they all know this aspect or that aspect of the realms and have embraced it and made it theirs and they can all do realm stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are lore lords like Brian Cordial, like George Crashos, like Eric Boyd, like the James brothers. There are many who the realms would be in safe hands if they took over because they know their stuff, you know, and, and, and that makes me very happy and very confident because I can say, Okay, if I'm busy this month, that's okay. <laughs> Somebody's got the realms back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good. Now, as I go through this book, um, I look at the examples and I look at like the God section uh, as well, and and I note, um, or 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 should I be noting that the book does seem to be very human centric? Yes. Again, I didn't have enough word count, and I had to make a decision early on what do I do? And I deliberately made it human-centric because that will be of the most use to the majority of players with their characters and the majority of DMs. What I really should do if we're going to delve into the races, and remember, the races are in possible flux from 3rd edition to 4th edition to 5th edition. You know, I really should sit down and do stuff on the races. For instance... We've never. Uh, I I wrote years ago a whole gnome language um, column that I don't think we've ever printed called Gnome Talk, um, and we we I don't mean the, the, the gnomes call it that or they call it that in their realms. I mean I called the article that, <laughs> right. and um, I delved into what gnomes were like as people, and then along came fourth edition and I'm a monster <laughs> rather than a player character class. Um, so there's a change in the in the race. Um, I've been redefining what is behind the scenes for hobgoblins um, in answer to some questions, recent questions, in fact, at Candlekeep, so that we get more of a picture of what they're really like as a long-lived race rather than, oh, grunt monster, you kill and move on. You know, you know, you know that hobgoblin has a wife and kids, or maybe that hobgoblin is the wife. How can you tell? Did you look closely enough before you gutted it? You know, <laughs> And all this stuff, I'm trying to bring all of the races to life in detail, and there just isn't the word count in this book. So what I did in this book is I concentrated on the dominant human culture that we've been exploring 
in sort of the heartlands of Faroon, because that's sort of where most of this book is. It's in the heartlands, and at the moment, on the surface, humans are dominating. And the other thing is, of course, we've done drow, drow, and drow in <laughs> other topics, and they are the dominant at the moment um, underdark race. So I thought, okay, it, the easy thing to do is not talk much about the underdark, believe that because that's been done in other pro- products. And when we're talking about the surface realms, who's on top at the moment and who's most prevalent, the humans, okay, that's what I talk about. And just because I didn't have time to discuss a lot of design decisions and I didn't have space to do everything, so I started cutting back myself so I could do a good job in a small spot. It's sort of like saying, oh, I have a week? Okay, well, I have a week and four acres. I am not planting a farm. I am planting a small garden. So that's what I did. I went in to do a, a, as good a job as I could on the small garden by confining the workload to a small, smaller place. So it wasn't like, oh, I hate elves or, oh, I hate dwarves. It was, okay, I've got like, oh, geez, here we go. i got to be writing. Uh, and I, I concentrated on the humans. The other thing about it, it, it's the same way that I can cover a lot more ground if I write, say, a James Bond-like book because I don't have to explain to the reader what a telephone is, or a gun, or a silencer for a gun, or a car. You know, I can just show it or talk about it. Whereas if the moment I go away from what humans and the sort of middle-of-the-road fantasy that we've read and seen and so on, and start talking about, okay, gnome's underwear is different than human underwear, and I don't have to explain it all, and I don't have the time or space. Whereas with humans, I could say, yeah, you've all seen a bra. Okay, move on. (laughs) You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. I I would have to explain everything, and I just didn't have the word counter time. Now, if I get to do sequels, (laughs) Well, for the record, I have slowly over the last decade or so um, become more and more interested in in Realm's dwarven culture. So anything you can do to add to that is awesome by my book. (laughs) Ah, well, thereby hangs the tale. (laughs) There is a fan out there. A friend of mine, Jeff Thetford, who years and years ago wrote a dwarf novel and submitted it to TSR back in the day. And I have always hoped that it would get published. He had some really cool things in it. Hmm. It didn't get accepted. But I live in hope that someday, somehow, he will get his chance. So one of the things I've been doing is soft peddling. I know I had to do Dwarves Deep and so on, but... I have kept my dwarven stuff on the, here are the clans, some of them. You know, here's what happened to them. Uh, here's where you encounter dwarven adventures. And less and less about the stuff that, well, for instance, if you pick up the new book that um, Mr. Falconer um, did on the design for The Hobbit, The Hobbit the movie, mm-hmm. it's full of designs for the dwarves all of their accoutrements, all of their weapons, why they made them look the way they got, why they did it. They had 13 dwarves to make different from each other, you know, on screen. But, I mean, it, you get pages and pages of how they dress, what their weapons are like, how they're different from each other, what their tools are like and stuff. I would love to do that, and I've been doing little bits and pieces of it around the edges in the realms, but I haven't gone whole hog on it because one of the problems back in the early days, you might remember when Dwarves Deep came out, a box set called Dwarves of Crin came out within a month. And I believe there was also an adventure 
about dwarves, and then there was the complete book of dwarves. You know, all by different hands, all coming up from TSR. And I'm thinking, okay, if we're going to do the dwarves or the elves, those two dominant races, and then the next rung is halflings and gnomes, you know, the player character races, before we start going weird and going half-orcs and treants and stuff like that, we better all get together, or we're going to have conflicts of everything. Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean I describe them as, you know, elves as having long, pointy, floppy ears, and you describe them as having pointed but small ears or whatever. You know, I mean, we're going to start saying, oh, elves are frivolous, whimsical, laughing, dancing, singing, uh, merry things who can't get through a sentence without giggling. And somebody else says, no, 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 elves are like we saw in The Lord of the Rings. They're these tall, grim, graceful, incredibly dignified, arrogant things who think humans are not much. You know, you know I, if I'm starting to do a culture, I need to have a meeting of the minds with the other people who are designing. And the realms is a shared world. I can't just go ahead and decide that for everybody. Mm -hmm. Naturally, the, the staff designers would like to you know, come to a decision on that. And the way things are structured with wizards right now, James Wyatt is head of story, and he should be saying yes or no to these things, not me doing it all mm -hmm. by myself. So I'm hesitant to go ahead and start detailing any culture. Uh, there are people at Candlekeep, as you know, who have been asking about orcs and hobgoblins and so on for years. And I try and give answers that won't create boxes that trap dungeon masters. Sure. I'm trying to give them stuff to go on rather than stuff that's definitive and flat-out blatant, as in, no orc does this. I never want to say that. Although, as, we're, as we get... As we get more and more novels, uh, you know, of course, more and more things get detailed that it, through that avenue as well, though. Oh, sure, they do. And and I watch that, and my job is to say, okay, for every loose end in the realm you tie off, I need uh, three new ones created. Sure. Give me elbow room. I, I'm doing the Daniel Boone, I need elbow room thing constantly, because I'm, I'm trying to, you know, people are saying, okay, how old is Mistra? When did she create the weep? All this stuff. And I go, no, 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 I don't want you to know that. I don't want anybody to know that. I want that to be up to the dungeon master. Sure. You know, to hint. And somebody says, well, well, can't we just, no, let's not. Let's suggest. Let's hint. Let's have Alminster wink at you as he tells you, well, this could be true, or maybe that could be true. I could be lying. In fact, I usually am. <laughs> you know, rather, so, you, again, to give the dungeon master the maximum amount of room to spin stories. I realize over time, yeah, like like accretion after accretion of fact, and we, we deepen the lore, we say more and more things definitively, we define more things, and there are right and wrong answers to things. And I get that. And I get the hunger of every fan who wants to know more. But I also want to leave them wanting more. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're walking that tightrope of saying, oh, yes, I want to tell you all this cool stuff. But I don't want to pin down. <laughs> and sometimes it's nice to have mysteries, especially even game sure. worlds. Yeah, people love mysteries. Um, but on the other hand, the little stuff, like the chamber pots and so on, that I put sure. in this book, that's handy to have. Okay, at least give me the damn tools so I know what I'm talking about. You know, you, you may not know the niceties of driving, but you see this thing? This is called a key. You need it to get in that door. And then you need to put it in the ignition. Okay, now you're on your own. <laughs> but, but, but I needed to give you the key. You know, so I, it, this is a book about the little useful stuff. The cups, the plates, the keys, the chamber pots, the doors, the locks, the um, where I hide stuff. You know, where do you hide your key in a city? A medieval city. You know, or 
Do you hide it in three places because you, you can disassemble it into three parts and any one of them is useless, but when you put them together, they're useful. Hey, it's not like that hasn't been done before. <laughs> the rod of seven parts, no. <laughs> but I mean, you know, but, but I want to give people useful little nitty-gritty so that they can spin the larger stories themselves. Right on. Uh, now... I've I've been been largely very positive about the book. I do have one concern, and and I wonder if you wouldn't address that. Um, generally speaking, the book is very broad, right? It doesn't get into very much details and specifics. Ironically, right? Uh, it's not you know, but but what I mean is you know, it's not saying this is the way things are in this city, and this is the way things are here. It's mostly just the, this is sort of the larger culture of the realms. Um, even as it goes into the different holidays, it doesn't actually give you any information about the calendar and the dates uh, for most no. of those, right? Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, in terms of, of specific usability, you know, say I'm going to play a, a, a game in the realms and I'm going to put it in this kingdom and this is who the enemy is going to be and this is what's going to be going on. Uh, I need to go somewhere for lore. This book does tend to be difficult to sort of find that specific lore, just by yes, the nature of the way it's organized. You're, you're quite right. And if I get the time, I had hoped to write this before the book came out. And my life being what it is, I just didn't get the time. I wanted to do an exhaustive index. Mm-hmm. You know, not a, not a table of contents index, but a, every single mention of everything. And not only every single mention of everything little notes in parentheses that say definition, not, you know, and then little half sentences that expand more on what is actually said in the text to to settle uh, anything confusing or something that might be argued over. Um, I wanted to do that sort of index so that it could be posted on the free area of the Wizards website, and it it could be on the same sort of page layout, that gorgeous design for each page that, Mm -hmm. that the printed book is in. So you would have an index, so you could quickly find all the weird mentions that are scattered all over the book of things, including the captions. Sure. You know. um, but you're right. It is uh, of the classical uh, textbook style source book, you know, by which I mean school textbook organized. You know, the Constitution of the United States subsection, you know, and then that sort of stuff. Uh, this is a terrible book for that part of you. It's, a, it's an inspiration. It's a read-through-and-get-ideas book. Mm-hmm. Um, I could organize better. But if I organize better, I would also be taking the fun of the journey out, and I would be making it drier, and I'd be wasting a lot more words on definitions and clarity. Sure. Although, um, I, although I, think, I, I think an exhaustive index would go a long ways, right? Because then if I wanted to oh, write yeah. something in Cormier, I could just look up the Cormier section of the index and say, oh, it's on these 10 pages. They got examples for me. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I, I intend to do that because I realize that this book is a cornucopia. It's like wandering through a marketplace. And the Dungeon Master doesn't have the time to do that on the fly. And even if he has like, oh, let's sit down for two hours and plan something for the next play session. And and there's your dungeon master, and she's flipping through things. Where the heck did he put that in? I know I read it. You know, I realize I have to fix that, and and that would make the book more useful. But it's like, okay, we have three paragraphs to spend on the Supreme Court. <laughs> if I spend them on saying the Supreme Court was founded in this date with this many people by this, you know, politician or act, 
and but it changed in this date and da da da, and then started naming people. So I would use up my word count before I said anything useful. But useful to role playing would be describe what it's like to a player character to be hauled before the Supreme Court. You know, and what do they look like? How do they speak? Uh, they say you are charged with you know you know oh, give me the stuff I need immediately in play. That's what I did in this book. I'm, I'm giving you, I'm giving you the sizzle of a steak. I'm not giving you how to butcher mm-hmm. the animal to, to come up with all the cuts of meat. I would love to do what you are quite rightly pointing out. Eh, we need a little more organization here. <laughs> but and, and in fact, my my original outline that was approved for the book had a four page index at the end. Mm. And they said, uh, you know, four pages on an index? Come on. Out. You know, because that's four more pages of stuff. Okay, that's cool, but I would rather have had the index. Sure. <laughs> because I'm a greedy gamer. I want it all. Yeah. And, and, and I looked at the photographs of me at the front and the back of that book in, in, in Elminster costume and say, well, that's nice, but I know what I look, at, I look like, and I'm not all that beautiful. Can we can those and put in indexes instead? Well, <laughs> I lost that battle. <laughs> you know, because... You know, frankly, I'm not the most beautiful person in the world. I don't have to see a photograph of myself climbing around. Or, you know, why, why can't we put that on the website in the index in the book? You know. <laughs> but on the other hand, the, the approach in this book was to give you ideas and art. Some of it pick up art, but mostly new, to support those ideas and get your ideas flowing and, and, and to get some of the feel of playing in my world. So I, that's what we did. And I do feel some of the areas that are very vague um, also fit in well with other products. You know, I've, I like the the calendar section. You know, you've got the the holidays all listed here, and sort of the things that happen on those holidays and what they mean and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, but you don't never really discuss in this book how the calendar works, which is unique in the realms. It's not a standard calendar like we have. And, and even if it was, this this book doesn't tell you what what days these things happen on. However, as I recall, the third edition campaign guide had a very good and detailed section on the calendar, but didn't have all the information about exactly how all these holidays worked. So if you combine, yeah. you know, combine the two things, now you suddenly have this, this complete picture of holidays and when they are and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, true. And, and again, that was forced on me simply by the fact of, no, I don't want to repeat this stuff because we said it in one way or another. In every, the first old gray box, the big black box, the third edition realm thing, we said it in all these things over and over again um, and who knows things change over time in the calendar but one of the things we haven't done is uh, given you in-depth stuff for festivals and holidays but I don't have the space to do all the religious ones and all the local ones like Waterdeep sure. you know Fleet Wake and so on or the God specific ones yeah I, I, I don't have space so what are some of the ones you'll find celebrated in most places no matter what even if there isn't a temple or a shrine in the place or nearby you know what are the, the ones that everybody sort of knows about even if they don't oh okay so I'll cover them and, 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 and even then I'm just starting on them because again it's the same what I was talking about before with the priesthoods and, and putting in details of the churches and so on um, we've never and I realize there are code of ethics reasons for this and so on but we've never actually written out some of the prayers and the rituals in full detail you know, that, that happen every day in some religions. We haven't, haven't gone to that level of detail. That I would love to have in there. But again, if I'm doing religious festivals and occurrences, I should detail everything. You know, if, if you have to pin the tail on a donkey, why? You know, and, and where did the tail, where did this come from? This, and, and how exactly is it celebrated? 
or observed in Waterdeep as opposed to Afkatla or Selgoth, you know. Um, or is it different? You know, do we let little kids run after the things and pick up candies in this place or not? If not, why not? You know, I, I could I could spend pages on this stuff. And most people would say, oh, yeah, he's crazy about his world. I'm not crazy about this bit of it. Let's move on to the fighting. You know, <laughs> so if I then tell you they're poison candies... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. There, there, there's always the saw-off between, okay, is this going to further an adventure? Is this an adventure hook? Is this something we can use? Or is it total window dressing? Or if it's total window dressing, Ed's throttle back. Because we need something that can spur adventure ideas. The moment I give you adventure ideas, like, did you know that this one guy who makes these windows and sells them for all of these port cities around the Sea of Fallen Stars, he's designed the windows so that if you know how to knock out this one piece, you can then quietly from the outside disassemble the entire frame of the window and then the glass panes and then get in that's more useful for an adventure than me talking about the candy in this festival so yeah I would love to do everything but as you probably you know you take a second glance at that section on festivals and it's sort of like he's just sort of scratched the surface and suggested things yep the entire book is like that yep good Tracy any last questions oh I'm off it all right. Well, I think you've uh, you've scratched all my itches on the book for now. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> if not, I know where to find you. That's right. Uh, I'm here to be found. That's right. And if people want to to find you anywhere, um, I suppose they could probably just leave questions over at the Candlekeep forums, and you have people that answer your questions over there. Yes. Um. Um. Well, usually what happens is, um, the hooded one shoots me an email and I answer the question and fire it back to her but yes yeah yes. Um, now one way or another I will eventually get to all the realms of our questions I do have to warn people that there are certain questions that have been waiting since 2004 <laughs> but that's usually because they asked about something I'm not allowed to give to, to spill on yet but if you want to ask questions about little stuff the sort of stuff that's in this book the meat and potatoes of everyday life those questions I answer very quickly because I don't have to check with the publisher, check with other creative people who are writing stuff, usually. I can say, oh, a Jaber Potts like this, you know, without consulting. So, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to answer them. Send those lore questions in. So we'll I have s- no time and I have no life already, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll send people over to uh, Candlekeep if they wanted to get a hold of you or ask questions. Uh, that's probably the best place to do so, other than, you know, running into you at Gen Con, right? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Candlekeep is great, but if, if we run into each other at Gen Con, ask me anything. You bet. And hopefully we'll be talking to you, uh, what, later this year? Because we're planning on doing all the Sundering books as part of our uh, book club. So, Ooh, I'm trying to remember. how. I remember, I wrote, I'm writing, I wrote, I am writing, I haven't written yet, the no. last Sundering book. So I, who knows if it will be out this year. I think it's out next year. But okay. anyway, okay. yeah, we can talk again. Excellent. Halfway through, you can ask me, what's going on? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right. Thanks a lot, Ed. A pleasure. So we'd like to say thank you to our guest, Ed Greenwood. Ed Greenwood. Again and again. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. That's thetomeshow, all one word, at gmail.com. Or call us at the biz line, 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And Tracy was just complaining about how we don't get very many voicemails. 
Yeah, we should we should get some more. All right. And if anybody wants to uh, see what all the links to things that we've discussed, you can find uh, all that in the show notes at thetomeshow.com. And that'll be there in this episode's posting. Great. And that is episode 208, where we dive deep into the realms, learning that chamber pots are necessary for all your games and make great weapons. As we discuss, Ed Greenwood presents Elminster's Forgotten Realms in this episode of... I'm also lost.